On the way home from school, one of the days this past week, one of my sons told me a story about something that happened in class. The teacher had broken the class into groups and then given each group an assignment. One of his classmates decided that they didn't want to do the assignment, so they asked the teacher if they could use the bathroom. The classmate then stayed in the bathroom, killing about 20 minutes in order to avoid being part of this particular group doing this particular assignment. What lengths do we go to in order to avoid doing things that we just don't want to do? How many of us have faked sick so that we could miss a day of school or, or not have to go to that family thing that's been on the calendar for months that we're like really excited about going to? When I was a bit younger, people would remind me of family birthdays or reunions, and I would casually respond with, great, now I know when to schedule getting the flu. Didn't always go over like that well, like people weren't real thrilled with that response, but, you know, it is what it is. Maybe we've, maybe we've exaggerated an injury so that we could get out as chores or, or miss some time at work. How many times have we had plans, but something better comes up and is, is conflicting, and we think, you know, let me... Let me just see if I can get out of it. Let me just see if I can get out of it. Avoiding undesirable situations, jobs, and experiences is something that we all go through. We all experience and desire. Everyone from presidents to movie stars to middle-class working men tried to dodge the draft to avoid going to Vietnam, some more successfully than others. Not wanting to do the things we're obligated to do, supposed to do, called to do, is something we encounter in all areas of life. We feel it at work, at school, at home, at church. We absolutely feel it in God's call to join him in his mission to bring about his kingdom. This week we start a new series. We're going to be going through the book of Jonah and we're going to be examining this story of reluctance and grace. Now, reluctance isn't a word that that gets used a ton, so just to flesh it out a little bit, reluctance is when you are hesitant to the point of unwilling to do something. Hesitant to the point of unwilling. Like, I just, I really don't want to do that. Like, I'm just going to drag my feet like there's no tomorrow. You're reluctant to lick the battery to see if it still has charge, because if it does still have charge, that that electric feeling on your tongue, it's not very pleasant. Like, that's not real fun. You're reluctant to get on the roller coaster, at least I am, because though the the speed and the twists and turns may be fun, like that's a pretty good time. That first drop where your stomach leaves its rightful place in the middle of your body and parks itself in your throat for a little while, like that's just not very enjoyable for me. Like I hate that. I'm, I'm incredibly reluctant to go on roller coasters because of that particular feeling for like five seconds, like two seconds maybe even. Maybe it's one second on some of them. I just hate it. I can't, I can't stand that stuff. Reluctance. Reluctance. In our text this morning and over the course of the next few weeks of our series, we will come up against this theme of reluctance over and over again. The protagonist, the main character in the story, Jonah, good old Jonah, is incredibly reluctant to heed the call of the Lord. And with that, let's read our text this morning, Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, 
Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And thus ends the reading this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. Now, Jonah's a prophet. We know this because the text tells us that the word of the Lord came to him, came to Jonah. God gave him something to say. This distinguishes him as a prophet of the Old Testament. Now, due to dates and timelines and and putting the puzzle together from other pieces of scripture as well as historical records, scholars have concluded that Jonah was a prophet for the king of Israel, Jeroboam II. Jonah's ministry would have been quite comfortable, actually. He was the prophet to a king. People respected him. People listened to what he had to say. Things were good. Life, Life was good for Jonah. Until the word of the Lord came, directing him to arise and to go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was not yet the capital of the Assyrian Empire, but was an independent or semi-independent city-state with its own ruler, which basically means they didn't answer to anybody. They made their own rules, and the rules they made were horrible. They're terrible. Nineveh, again, in other places of Scripture and in our other historical references, is described as a bloody city, a city of lies, a city of plunder. When the armies of Nineveh attacked and and conquered a neighboring or rival city, the things they did to the people of that city and her leaders were, were horrific. They were unspeakable. Nineveh was the very symbol of utter moral decay. It was a city and a symbol of great evil. And on top of all that, they were the sworn enemy of Israel. And so here's Jonah, sitting in his, his comfortable lifestyle, chilling, the happy little prophet of the king of Israel, when the word of the Lord comes to him and says, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, like, slow down a little bit here, thinks Jonah. You want me... To go to Nineveh. You do understand what you're asking, right? You, you do understand who these people are and what they stand for, right? And while I'm on my little tirade here, let me just add to you that I take issue with this term, great city. There is nothing great about this city or its people. They're horrible. They are the scum of the earth. They are the enemies of morality, of decency, of justice, and of mercy. And their evil has come up before you? No kidding. It's come up before all of us. How could you have missed it before now? Don't you watch the news? Don't you get it? Where have you been? And you want me to go to them. What? You're going to send a lone little prophet when you should be sending is the armies of heaven to wipe those guys off the face of the earth, 
The things that they do and the way that they conduct their lives is a stain, a blemish against your creation and against you. You should be eradicating them. But instead of doing that, you want to send me. You want to send them a prophet. You want to give them a word from you, God? Jonah is reluctant to listen and obey the word of the Lord. He doesn't get it. He doesn't fully understand. But what he does understand, he he doesn't like. You see, for most of us, we look at this and go, of course Jonah isn't excited about going to Nineveh. It's a death sentence. Look what they do to the people there. It's a den of evil. What if they treat him like they treat the people of of the cities they conquer? All this sounds horrible. So, So of course he doesn't want to go. And though that line of thinking makes sense and it makes a pretty compelling argument against following this particular call from the Lord, that isn't why Jonah doesn't want to go to the people of Nineveh. We read later in this book, and we're going to flesh it out more when we get there, that Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh because he knows that Yahweh, that God, is a God who is gracious and merciful. And he knows that God isn't sending armies to wipe out Nineveh because he doesn't want to wipe out Nineveh. Just as he loves the people of Israel, those who are striving to follow his laws and decrees, those who are trying to please him, so does he also love those who make a mockery of morality, who spit in the face of all that is good and right, and who relish what is evil. He doesn't want to annihilate them. He wants to save them. And so he is sending them a prophet. To bring them the word of the Lord. For the word of the Lord is powerful and effective. And Jonah knows this. And Jonah doesn't want to go. Can we relate to Jonah? Is there a group of people that are so opposed to what you see as right and normal and good that you just don't want to have anything to do with them? Let them get what's coming to them. They deserve it. They've, They've earned it. Maybe that group of people sits on the other side of the political aisle from you. Maybe you disagree with them in their stance on the abortion debate or the gender wars or the debate that is taking place around race and privilege. Maybe they hold different beliefs about what constitutes sexual immorality. Maybe it's none of these things and most likely it's something very different and more personal to you. But can you relate to Jonah? Are there people you would just rather got what was coming to them since they seem to desire it so much. Jonah had no desire to go to Nineveh and bring them God's word. So what did he do? What did he do? He ran away. What a different response than what we are used to seeing in God's commands in the Old Testament. Right? God said, let there be light, and there was light. God told Elijah, get up and go to Zarephath. And Elijah got up and he went to Zarephath. And though some made excuses and whined and complained about the direction giving them, like Moses with the burning bush, they did what they were told to do. Except for Jonah. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh and he silently runs away, right? One commentator I read compared this to Moses dumping a bucket of water on the burning bush to extinguish the flame and then turning tail and fleeing the area. Like, I'm out of here. Forget this noise. How reluctant are you in answering 
God's call. How reluctant are we to minister to those that we struggle with, that we disagree with, whose values we don't value, and whose opinions are offensive to us? What do we do to get out of it? I may not be sitting in the bathroom for 20 minutes like we're avoiding a school assignment, or we may not be faking sick or exaggerating an injury, and dodging the draft certainly wouldn't do it. What do we do? Do we act like Jonah? Do we ignore? Do we run? I remember being told this story in Sunday school, this story of Jonah and the big fish, and it makes a great story because of the imagery. Jonah's rebellion, the great acts of God, from the storm to the sending of the fish to the repentance of the city of evil. And though it all, and through it all, there seemed to be this message of don't be Jonah. Do what God is telling you to do. Do what you are supposed to be doing. Don't run. That's the message. And it seems pretty straightforward. So we run with it. And then, and then I grow up and, and I get older and I begin to see that some of these things manifest in my life. I begin to have to interact with people that I don't particularly like and, and who certainly don't seem to like me very much. And, and these are people that God wants me to witness to. These are people God wants me to proclaim the truth of his goodness and his mercy to? Or God wants me to be part of of what ministry? He wants me to do what for his kingdom? I'm supposed to take leadership where and in what? No way. That's way outside my comfort zone. He definitely has the wrong person. I thought this dude knew me. Like I thought he knew who I was. There's no way that that's going to be part of my story. Forget it. I'm out of here. Do you have a mission or ministry that God is calling you to? And you've been doing your best to shut that voice out? Are you reluctant to follow God's call? As I've wrestled with God and his call on my life, I've realized that as much as I may not want to be Jonah in the physical sense, I may not be physically hopping in a boat to get away, to run away from God and his desire for my life. But I realize that truly, deep down, I know that I am Jonah in my heart. I am Jonah in my heart. Jonah exhibits signs of faith. And then he also exhibits signs of unbelief. On the one hand, Jonah believes in God, has faith in God. God literally speaks to him, and he listens and then proclaims the truths God gives him to others. And yet on the other other hand, he shows signs of unbelief by running from God, ignoring him, and trying to get away from him. And man, don't I just see that in my own heart. Believing and yet not always trusting. Obeying and yet not always obeying. Knowing what is right, what I should be doing, and yet not always doing it. In fact, sometimes I run from it as fast as I can. Jonah is the personification of what Martin Luther so adeptly said every Christian is. Similistus epicata. Simultaneously saint and sinner. A person who is saved by faith, but struggles against their own nature and their sinful will. Simply put, a Christian. 
If you are realizing that this is you this morning, I pray that the story of Jonah will encourage you as it is encouraged and continues to encourage me. For how does God handle Jonah? How does God handle this man who knows him and yet ignores him? Who runs away from him? How does God deal with this man who is actively and intentionally fleeing from what he knows God wants him to do? Does he punish him? Does he stop speaking to him? Does he find someone else, someone more willing, someone better qualified to take his place? No. No. God treats the reluctant prophet with grace. He does not get what he deserves. He is not cut off. He is not destroyed for his betrayal and his arrogance. God works on his heart. God shows him mercy and grace. God uses him to tell a bigger story, a fantastic story, a story that resonates into eternity. And God deals with our reluctant hearts in the same way that he dealt with Jonas. God treats the reluctant heart with grace. Because of our sin, we should be cut off from God. Through our rebellion, betrayal, and arrogance, we have earned destruction. That is the ticket that we have punched and purchased. And as we run from God, He has every right to just let us go. In good riddance. But no, that is not what our God does. That is not His plan. That is not His heart. Where we were reluctant to do what we should be doing, God is committed and passionate about His plan. And His plan is that we all be united in relationship with Him. And to make that happen, to deal with the sin that has cut us off from God, God sent Jesus Christ. And Jesus did what none of us could. He lived a perfect life. He experienced what we experienced. He was tempted by what we are tempted by. But He didn't fail as we fail. He conquered, he lived sin-free, and then as part of God's plan to be reunited with us, his reluctant, broken creation, Jesus went to the cross to pay for all of the sin that we could not. Jesus went to die to pay in our place the price that because of our sin we could not pay. And then after he died, he rose again from the dead and conquered sin and death. And through faith in Jesus, we are reconciled to the Father. Our relationship has been restored. This is the good news that is true for us, just as it is true for our neighbor, just as it is true for those that sit across the political aisle from us, that hold different beliefs and values and opinions than us, regardless of how immoral or offensive or insulting we may find their beliefs, values, and opinions to be. This is the good news that God wants us to share, to proclaim from the heights and to shout in the depths. And when you are reluctant, remember Jonah. Remember that God does not abandon the reluctant. He has grace for them. He loves them. He has saved them. And he continues to call them to relationship with him. And even though they are reluctant, he continues to call them into his mission. I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord. I don't know what direction of his you are ignoring and running from. I don't know where your plans and his plans are in conflict. I don't know where you are being reluctant.
But I do know that God is calling you. I do know that God desires to use you in his mission to bring about his kingdom. And I do know that nothing can ever separate you from his love and that his grace is never ending and he showers it upon you. May that grace and God's passion for you give you the courage to overcome your reluctance to join him in his mission. What a wonderful, fantastic, amazing, gracious, passionate, and loving God we serve. Amen.